Welcome to Shooting for the Stars, a podcast series brought to you by Southern Cross Business Advisors, helping our clients identify and achieve their life goals. It's been a very tough winter for those people struck down with COVID-19, the flu, or any other type of respiratory disease that has prevented them from attending work or forced them to isolate at home. And at Southern Cross Business Advisors, unfortunately, we have not been immune. And that is the reason why we were unable to deliver you an episode of Shooting for the Stars a couple of weeks ago as originally scheduled. We do apologize for any inconvenience caused, but we are back and we are back in a very big way. Louis Bulzomi here with you to talk about a very important and vital section of the income tax law that is related to companies, more specifically shareholders or associates involved with those companies, and that is Division 7A. Now, you may have heard us use this term rather frequently in pre-30 June business review meetings or in meetings where we've signed off on your previous year's financial statements and tax returns, and you've returned a stone-faced look to us going, what is this Division 7A you speak of? What does this even mean? We have no idea what you're talking about. It's completely gibberish. It's a totally foreign language. And we completely understand because it is a foreign language to the layman. It's legal jargon. It's what we're here for. It's what tax lawyers are here for. But even when we read the legislation, sometimes our heads are spinning too going, geez, we can't make heads or tails on some of this stuff. That's just an opinion, by the way. But it is law and it is something we must comply with because non-compliance can lead to severe tax implications. And we certainly don't want you caught in that trap. Now, in a nutshell, Division 7A is an anti-avoidance measure designed to prevent private companies from making tax-free distributions of profits to shareholders or to their associates in the form of payments, loans, or debts that are forgiven. If Division 7A applies, amounts paid, lent, or forgiven by a private company to a shareholder or their associate are treated as dividends unless they come with certain exclusions. And we will touch on some of those exclusions in this episode. So does that definition give you more clarity as to what Division 7A is all about? Probably not, and that's completely understandable. So let's take a different approach. When you start up a business, you have a choice of what tax structure you want to run that business through. And the four choices are individual, so sole trader, ABN, away you go. A partnership where you bandy together with one or a few other people or even a couple of other tax structures. and Make a partnership, a joint venture under the one ABN, and the profits are distributed either evenly across all the partners or as per a predetermined partnership agreement where certain percentages go to certain partners, however you want to go about it. A trust, whether it be a fixed trust, which is usually a unit trust where each unit holder gets equal distribution or certain distributions based on their unit holding or fixed entitlements, or a discretionary trust, most commonly known as a family trust, where you have a whole heap of beneficiaries and the trustee determines how much each beneficiary gets. The profits that come out of that trust are taxed at the beneficiary or unit holder level. So there's one thing in common with those three entities. Tax is at the rate of the person who has that profit. So the individual, individual tax rates, the partnership at partner tax rates, not the partnership itself, and trust is a beneficiary or unit holder rate 
not the trust itself unless some of that income was not distributed, then the trustee ends up getting taxed at the top marginal tax rate. That's the only exception there. A company, it's different. A company is treated in the eyes of the tax law as a legal person in its own right and pays its own tax, regardless of the number of shareholders and associates it has. When a company turns a profit, they pay tax at a corporate rate, currently 25% for small business enterprises, 30% for your larger ones. Now, that's all fair and good. When it comes to taking money out of these tax entities, for individuals, partnerships and trusts, you withdraw funds from the bank accounts, you can go about your lives with those funds. You can do whatever you please, pay for whatever you want. No tax implications at all. Not the case with the company. It used to be like that. The company would pay tax on the profits. The shareholders and associates would then draw money out of the companies and can do whatever they wanted with it. But the tax officers then turned around and said, we don't want that to happen anymore. We consider that tax evasion. We consider that anti-avoidance. So on the 4th of December, 1997, this legislation was brought in, Division 7A, to put a stop to all of that where shareholders and associates pull money out of a company they then have to pay tax on that drawing unless they pay the money back into the company or enter into a complying Division 7A loan, which we will also touch on later in this episode. So in summary, you can draw money out of a company, but you would have to pay that money back unless you enter into an agreement with the company to pay that money back in various installments over a certain number of years, or you acknowledge those drawings as a payment from the company that does not fall under Division 7A because it is a bona fide payment that you were entitled to yourself. For example, salary and wages, director's bonuses, or franked dividends where you receive a franking credit representing the tax previously paid by the company on that profit distribution, which helps reduce your own tax liability and may even create a refund. But anyway, that's enough from me. What we'll do now is throw you over to the ATO's Shayla Van Rudd, who is interviewing the Assistant Commissioner of the ATO's Tax Council Network, Fiona Dillon, who will discuss various aspects of Division 7A. The first of those being how to manage common mistakes. Today, we're fortunate enough to have Fiona Dillon, Assistant Commissioner from the Tax Council Network, telling us about the most common mistakes and how to manage them. Welcome, Fiona. Can you please start with briefly explaining about what Division 7A is all about? Yeah, sure. Um, Division 7A is a part of our tax law that's designed to discourage shareholders accessing money from their private companies, other than by way of those private companies paying them dividends. Division 7A does this by treating certain payments and loans made by the company to them or their their associates as unfranked dividends. Can you clarify what you mean by an associate? Yeah, well, if the shareholder is an individual, uh, well, their associates include their spouse and children, uh, a partnership in which they are a partner together with all the other partners in that partnership. Um, It also includes a trustee of a trust under which they or any of their other associates are a beneficiary and also a company that they control or control together with their other associates. So can you share some of the most common mistakes made by private company owners? 
Yeah, actually there are some very common mistakes when it comes to Division 7A. Uh, these include where the shareholder or the associate pay for personal expenses from the private company's bank account without then paying it back before the company lodges its income tax returns. Other mistakes include where the shareholder or associates interchangeably use personal and business accounts without appropriately recording those transactions. Uh, where they borrow money from the private company without putting um, a complying loan agreement in place and also where they use the private company's assets for personal purposes without then reimbursing the company for that usage. Other mistakes just simply include where um, shareholders don't declare money taken from the private company. So what we see when it comes to Division 7A is it's just really important to understand that amounts taken from the company or the, the value of assets used for personal purposes, so company assets used for personal purposes, that might be treated as an unfranked dividend, which is then taxable to the shareholder, unless those amounts are appropriately repaid, reimbursed to the company, or unless uh, the shareholder puts those amounts on complying loan terms, all before the private company lodges its tax return. Since these mistakes are quite common, how do you suggest that tax agents or taxpayers manage them? Sure, um, each of these mistakes can be managed quite simply. Um, for example, as long as by the private company's lodgement date, any money borrowed from the company is repaid or offset against other amounts owing to the shareholder from the company. For example, if the company owes the shareholder salary, wages or director's fees, um, it can also be managed by making sure an appropriate amount is paid for any use of private company assets, um, making sure that any act actual dividends are declared, and any amounts taken by the shareholder that haven't been so repaid are put on complying loan terms. So you mentioned that if the shareholder is treated as having received a dividend, that the amount is actually taxable to them and they'll need to include it in their tax return. But even if no dividends arise under Division 7A, is there any information that actually needs to be declared in the private company's income tax return for Division 7A purposes? Certainly. Um, in the private company's own tax return, it's important that if the company has actually lent money to its shareholder or their associates, that the amount of any such loans are shown at label 8N of the company's income tax return. Um, also, if there's any interest that the company earns on those loans, um, that must be declared at label 6F of the company tax return. That was Shayla Van Rudd and Fiona Dillon discussing the common mistakes that shareholders, associates and directors, etc. make when it comes to taking money out of companies or other assets and how best to manage them in order to avoid any pitfalls caused by non-compliance with Division 7A. Now, moving on to the next part of their series, they discuss what is a payment. So, what constitutes a payment that falls under the laws of Division 7A. Can we start today with what we mean by payment in the context of Division 7A? Yeah, certainly. Um, under Division 7A, a payment does include what we all understand to be an ordinary payment of an amount, but it also has a, an extended meaning to also cover a crediting of an amount to you or on your behalf or for your benefit. A payment also includes a transfer of property to you and also the provision of an asset for your use. 
Um, however, when you've received a payment, if you are obliged to return that amount to the company, under Division 7A it will be treated as a loan rather than as a payment. So can you explain what happens under Division 7A when a private company makes a payment? Yes, certainly. Under Division 7A, a private company that makes a payment to one of its shareholders or their associates is deemed to have paid a dividend to that shareholder. Um, the amount of that dividend is deemed to, e to be equal to the lesser of the amount that's actually paid to the shareholder or their associate or the an amount um, which is broadly akin to the private company's accumulated profits. Uh, within Division 7A, this amount is called the company's distributable surplus. So the amount that the shareholder is treated as having a dividend will be the lesser of these two amounts. Um, in addition, uh, it is probably important to note that not all payments are subject to Division 7A and some will be specifically excluded from being deemed to be dividends. Can you give us some examples of these? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so there are a number of payments that are excluded from de being deemed to be dividends under Division 7A. The most common examples include such things as amounts that are already otherwise accessible to that shareholder or associate. So for example, if the company's paid an actual dividend to the shareholder, um, that will already be accessible and Division 7A doesn't need to step in to deem it to be accessible. Uh, another example are payments from the company uh, in discharge of genuine monetary debts of that company, so pay payment of money debts, um, they won't be treated as dividends. Um, payments that are converted into complying loans for the purposes of Division 7A, um, if that loan is put in place before the private company's lodgement, um, they will also be an, a payment excluded from being deemed to be a dividend of itself under Division 7A. Um, other common examples are where the private company pays amounts to shareholders who themselves are companies. Uh, that's another excluded form of payment. And there are also some certain uh, retirement exemption payments. Another uh, excluded payment that we sometimes see are payments made to shareholders or their associates in the capacity as an employee. So, um, so if the company has employed a shareholder and makes a payment in, in that sense. Um, but in these cases, it is important to realise that fringe benefits tax may, may, gen, may typically apply. Can you give an example when FBT and not Division 7A would apply to a payment? Yeah, certainly. Um, let's say, for example, uh, a sole shareholder and director of a company receives a $5,000 invo invoice for something private. So, for example, a, a, a bill or an invoice for their children's school fees. Um, the director, acting as director, then um, acts to have those fees paid from the private company's bank account. Um, the director doesn't repay the company for this payment and doesn't enter into any complying loan agreement to cover off on that $5,000 payment. In these circumstances, if the payment wasn't excluded, Division 7A would certainly deem it to be a $5,000 dividend paid to that shareholder director. However, for fringe benefits tax purposes, because we've got a private company paying a private expense of its director, this is an expense payment fringe benefit. So then being a fringe benefit, um, the $5,000 payment is therefore excluded from also being deemed to be a dividend under Division 7A. Well, as the old saying goes, there are many ways to skin a cat. And as you've just heard, 
from both Shayla and Fiona. There are many different forms of payments that can fall under Division 7A, and there are also payments that fall outside Division 7A. Now, in the event that any payments that do fall under Division 7A are not able to be repaid by the company's lodgement due date for their next tax return. So, for example, we've got the 2022 financial year. You've taken out, say, $50,000 during that financial year. But come the 31st of March 2023, for example, that could be a, a lodgement date, or the 15th of May 2023, if there's a concession, you haven't paid the full $50,000 back by then, then you have got the option of entering into a complying loan agreement with the company where you will pay that loan back either over seven years if it's unsecured or if you do take security over the loan, such as putting uh, part of your house up, then you have 25 years. That, that happens rarely, 25 years. Most often, it's the seven-year unsecured loan that goes into place. Let's return now to Shayla and Fiona, who will discuss how loans between a company and shareholder, associate, or director can comply with Division 7A. Can we start today with what we mean by a loan in the Division 7A context? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in the context of Division 7A, similar to the payments that we discussed in the second of our video series, a loan for the purposes of Division 7A also has an extended meaning. So this means that in addition to ordinary loans, um, what's taken to be a loan for Division 7A purposes can also include a number of other things. These would include things such as an advance of money, uh, a provision of credit or any other form of financial accommodation, a payment that the company makes for you on your account or on your behalf or at your request uh, in circumstances where you have an obligation to repay that payment. Um, and then also any other transaction which is substantially the same as a loan of money. That's all encompassed in what Division 7A treats as loans. So let's run through a quick example. So Mario is a sole shareholder of ABC Proprietary Limited and the company pays him an annual salary of $100,000. Let's assume Mario withdraws $50,000 from the company bank account to pay for some of his home renovations. How would this $50,000 be treated under Division 7A? Well, that $50,000 would be included as an unfranked dividend in Mario's income tax return. So using your example, his taxable income would now be $150,000. Okay, so what options does Mario have to ensure that he's only taxed on his $100,000? Well, Mario can do a number of things, including just repaying the amount uh, before lodging the company's income tax return, or he can borrow the amount from the company on complying loan terms by entering into what we call a complying loan agreement. Okay, so can you expand on the last one a bit further? What actually makes a complying loan agreement? Well, for a loan to be complying, there's no set format for the agreement to take. However, a complying loan agreement must in be in writing. And as a minimum, it should identify the names of the lender and the borrower and also set out the essential conditions of the loan, including the amount of the, the loan, the requirement to repay the loan, uh, the interest rate payable and to be complying, the interest rate must be at least the benchmark interest rate and also the term of the loan. 
And again, to be complying, uh, the term of the loan can't exceed seven years unless it's secured by real property. And finally, a loan agreement must be signed and dated before lodging the income tax return. Okay, so are there any other requirements? Yes, well, over the term of the loan, payments of interest and repayments of principal are required to be made. So we call these minimum yearly repayments. So what's considered to be a repayment of a loan? Okay, well, in the ordinary case, working out what payments are loan repayments is usually pretty straightforward. Um, However, there are some payments which aren't counted as being a, a loan repayment. And these are payments that where a reasonable person would con- conclude that new borrowings or new payments from the company were or will be obtained so as to fund that repayment. This is especially where the new borrowings are pa- or payments are for an amount similar to or larger than the repayment that you make. Can you give an example? Yeah, that's probably a good idea. So taking your Mario situation, let's assume that a week before lodging the company's income tax return, Mario actually repays $50,000 he he withdrew from the company's accounts to pay for his home renovations. However, if he'd also borrowed an additional $50,000 from the company, say a month earlier, a reasonable person would conclude that this new loan was obtained so that he could repay the original $50,000 that he had uh, used to fund his home renos. Um, So due to this, Mario would still in this case be deemed to have received a $50,000 from the company because the repayment wouldn't be taken into account. Are there any instances where payments made by the company can be used to fund a repayment without this exception applying? Yeah, absolutely. So where a private company pays an actual dividend or pays salary and wages to a shareholder, these kinds of payments are made for reasons other than for facilitating repayments of shareholder loans. So repayments funded from such dividends, salary, wages, etc., will therefore be able to be taken into account as repayments. So as you would have heard just then, it's not all doom and gloom if you've pulled out a truckload of money from the company in one financial year and then come the following financial year when the company lodges their tax return, you haven't got the ability to afford to pay it back in full. You have got the opportunity to enter into a complying loan agreement up to a maximum of seven years if you have no security or if you're prepared to put up some real estate you can go for up to 25 years. But there was one very important point that Fiona touched on, and that is the old kicking the can down the road trick. It won't fly in this situation. The ATO will be onto you like a hawk. So you can't just simply go, all right, I borrowed $50,000 in the 2022 financial year. So 2023 financial year, I'm just going to take another 50,000 out and then wait a month or so, put that money back in. Mm -mm. If you are audited... The ATO will red flag that and then that original $50,000 will be deemed as a dividend. You have to pay tax on that plus other penalties maybe. And then you will be at risk of having to pay tax on the other $50,000 that you pulled out even though you've put that money back into the company. So definitely be careful when it comes to trying to kick the can down the road. Now, there is one other option that you may be able to explore in order to help deal with Division 7A, and that's if things do get quite tough for you. As we know, it has been very tough the last couple of years. Don't have to tell you why. You can apply for discretion from the ATO Commissioner. So if you have got a case and a story to tell, you can 
formally apply for Commissioner's discretion to exclude certain amounts as Division 7A. Let's go back now to Shayla and Fiona, who will discuss the Commissioner's discretion in more detail. Can you start by briefly explaining what the Commissioner's discretion is all about? Certainly. Um, the Commissioner's discretion is about helping people comply with their obligations under Division 7A. So where, as a result of an honest mistake or inadvertent omission, Division 7A has deemed a person to have been paid a dividend, in relevant cases, the Commissioner's discretion can allow the Commissioner to allow that deemed dividend to be franked or to disregard it altogether. Okay, so what happens when someone applies for a, the Commissioner's discretion? Well, the Commissioner considers an application by following a two-step process. The first step is to determine if the deemed dividend arose due to an honest mistake or inadvertent omission. This step must be passed before the Commissioner goes on to consider further factors. Secondly, the Commissioner then considers the circumstances which led to the original mistake or omission, the extent and how quickly corrective action is taken, and whether Division 7A has applied previously to the taxpayer, as well as any other matters the Commissioner considers relevant. Okay, so let's apply all of this to an example. Frank and Wendy own Iron Age Proprietary Limited, a small private company carrying a metal fabrication work. They also operate a separate business through a partnership that installs metal fences. For many years, Wendy's brother Brad, an accountant and tax agent, completed all their accounting work. In the recent years, Brad's health has deteriorated and after a series of strokes, Frank and Wendy became concerned that Brad may have made mistakes in the private company's income tax returns. This year, Frank and Wendy engaged Nick, another tax agent, to prepare their current tax returns. They asked him to review the tax affairs of Iron Age Proprietary Limited for the past three years. Frank and Wendy's concerns are confirmed. Nick's analysis of Brad's working papers indicate a decline in his professional ability. Nick also identifies a loan their company made to Frank and Wendy's partnership. The principal of the loan was repaid, but no interest was paid by the partnership. Nick advises Frank and Wendy that this loan breached Division 7A. A deemed dividend has arisen for this shortfall because the loan was not placed on Division 7A complying loan terms, unlike previous loans that the company had made to Frank. Nick advises Frank and Wendy to make a voluntary disclosure to the ATO and apply for the Commissioner's discretion to disregard the deemed dividend. Frank and Wendy agree. They quickly make a catch-up payment for the interest foregone by the company. They calculated the interest based on the amount that would have accrued had the compliant Division 7A loan agreement been in place. Okay, Fiona. Previously, you outlined the two-step process the Commissioner follows when considering if he will exercise his discretion. Firstly, he has to determine if the deemed dividend arose due to an honest mistake or an inverted omission. Using the scenario we've just seen, can you explain how the Commissioner would consider Frank and Wendy's application? Certainly. Um, well, in this case, it seems that Nick, the new tax agent, has fully outlined the circumstances of Frank and Wendy's situation. We also know that Frank and Wendy have taken corrective action by making catch-up payments of the interest that would have been paid if the loan had been complying in the first place. 
This may help support their, their claim that they had not intended to make loans other than in a Division 7A complying way. While we can't speak directly with Brad because of his health, we can discuss the circumstances with Frank, Wendy and Nick. This, along with the history of Brad's working papers, would be enough to determine the decline of Brad's professional capacity. I see, so we'd be able to establish how an honest mistake or an inadvertent omission actually took place. That's right, in the, it's right in this case, um, because of all the information provided to the commissioner that helped support Frank and Wendy's claim. Okay, I see. So what you're saying is that it's important to consider as much information as possible concerning the circumstances at the time, even if the circumstances are of a personal nature. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so once the honest mistake is decided, what happens next? Well, the Commissioner then considers if he should exercise his discretion. To do this, he again needs to look at the circumstances which led to the original mistake or omission. He also considers the extent to which corrective action has been taken and how quickly. The Commissioner now also considers whether Division 7A has applied previously to the taxpayer, as well as any other matters considered relevant. Okay, so what would be the outcome for Frank and Wendy? Well, in Frank and Wendy's case, there are a few factors weighing in favour of the Commissioner exercising discretion. Frank and Wendy had been proactive in seeking a review of their tax affairs. They've instructed Nick to make a voluntary disclosure to the ATO as soon as they were aware of the breach. Um, the company had previously made personal loans to Frank and on those occasions, Brad had drawn up complying loan agreements specifying minimum yearly repayments. So this history clearly shows a willingness to comply with Division 7A. And also none of the parties involved here have previously breached Division 7A. So with all of this in mind, it's reasonable to conclude that the Commissioner would exercise his discretion and not apply Division 7A to Frank and Wendy. Well, that's great news for Frank and Wendy. Um, but what are some of the other factors that might have resulted in a different outcome? Yeah, good, good question. So if Frank and Wendy had a prior history of breaching Division 7A or a pattern of non-lodgement, this may have affected the outcome. And the Commissioner's discretion may not have been favourably exercised if there had been no corrective action taken. This actually gives us a good example of how the Commissioner considers exercising his discretion. Can we look for more information on this topic on the ATO website? Yeah, absolutely. On the website we do have a practice statement. It's uh, PSLA 2011-29. We also have examples of the Commissioner's discretion processes in our fact sheet. Fiona, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Yes, indeed. A big thank you to Fiona Dillon, the Assistant Commissioner turned Chief Tax Counsel of the Australian Taxation Officers Tax Council Network, along with Shayla Van Rudd, coordinating the four-part series talking all things Division 7A. Hopefully that's given you a lot of clarity and understanding with regards to your compliance requirements with Div 7A. Of course, if you do need more specific advice, come and chat to us at Southern Cross Business Advisors. 234 Deakin Avenue, Mildura. Give us a phone call, 0350186444. Drop us an email, admin at scba.com.au. And also be sure to subscribe to Shooting for the Stars wherever you get your podcast fix on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the Podcast Index, or rss.com. 
Looking forward to our next episode with Ben Ray, partner of Point and Partners, to discuss all things trademarks. Until then, as always, our clients all have life goals and we're here to help them identify and achieve them. Goodbye. Thank you.